Well, our gospel reading this morning is from John chapter 2, starting in verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured over the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you think you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of the body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Friends, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So now, gracious God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place and in all places be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer, even in the wilderness. Amen. Never give up. It's a message we've all heard at different points throughout our lives, haven't we? Perhaps from a parent, a sports coach, or physical trainer, a teacher, maybe even a preacher or two. And I imagine it's a message we have given others, too. We have given it to our children, to students in our classes, to the teams we coach, to people we supervise at work. We often attribute never give up to Winston Churchill, the British prime minister who had the courage to stare down Hitler in the midst of Nazi domination. 
But countless people throughout history have said something similar, like football coach Vince Lombardi, who famously said, quitters never win and winners never quit. Or Harriet Beecher Stowe, who said, never give up, for that is just the place and time that the tide will begin to turn. Our greatest weakness lies in giving up, Thomas Edison once said. The most certain way to succeed is always to try just one more time. And sometimes, gosh, this is absolutely true, isn't it? But is it true all the time? One of my new favorite writers, thanks to Carol and Kathy, is Kelly Corrigan, who recently hosted a podcast in which she asks, is never give up really the best advice? Or are there times when, in fact, it is good to give up? Does our relentless striving sometimes cause us more harm than good? So she polled some of her followers about their own experiences of giving up. She asked, what do you regret giving up so much that you still beat yourself up about it? And someone said, I still regret giving up vet school. I regret giving up creative writing or playing a musical instrument in high school. I wish I could do that now. But then she asked a different question. She said, what do you regret not giving up? And they said things like law school, playing on the college football team, and more than a few relationships over the years. When she asked, what do you wish you had given up sooner? They shared things like medical treatments that just weren't working anymore. Jobs that weren't a healthy environment for me. Drinking. Bad marriages. What are you absolutely elated to have given up, she asked. Caring what people think, someone said. Pretending to be straight. Fighting for the highest GPA in the class. The rat race and toxic positivity. Kelly goes on to say, it's easy to see the appeal of this persistent, relentless pursuit of never giving up. Sticking to it in and of itself is a virtue. But I also think that sticking to it can sometimes go too far. For instance, isn't following this mantra blindly what gets people killed trying to climb Mount Everest in the midst of a snowstorm? She says, just because you signed up, did all the paperwork, found a Sherpa, and bought some gear, doesn't mean that you should always be on that mountain. And so when the snowstorm comes, or when the altitude is too much, or when you get hurt along the way, sometimes it's okay. Sometimes it's even necessary to stop, to turn around, to go back, to give up, at least for now, and then to try again later. And we need to elevate and to celebrate these kinds of stories too, she says, but we rarely do that. 
And you know, I can't help but wonder if this is part of what Jesus is asking people to do in today's text in the temple. Now the people are of course blown away when Jesus turns upside down the temple marketplace and they ask for some kind of justification of why he has done this. And he responds to them, destroy this temple, give it all up, and just you wait, in three days I will raise it up. In other words, give up trying to make a profit off of your faith. Give up your relentless striving. Give up your need for control. Give up your inequitable systems of power. Give up what you have been trying to build here. Tear it all down and just wait and see what I can do. But when he even mentions giving up something like the temple, the people respond, but Jesus, we we can't give that up. We've come too far. Look what we've built. It took us 46 years to get here, and we're not even finished yet. Psychology tells us that their response is actually what is called a sunk cost fallacy. This tendency of people to continue doing an endeavor or to continue consuming or pursuing an option if they have invested time or money or resource in it. It's why we might push ourselves to go to a concert, even if we're sick and we really don't feel like going because we spent too much money on the tickets. Or it's why we might stay in a bad relationship for far too long Because we've already spent so many years trying to make it work. They have spent 46 years building this temple, and they are not giving up on it anytime soon. Although what they don't realize is that Jesus is ultimately talking about giving up something that is far greater than the temple. John tells us that he is talking about the temple that is the body. Jesus is talking about our very lives, perhaps because Jesus knows that deep within us we have to be willing to give up, to let go, and to relinquish control in order for God to give birth to something new. We have been talking about what it looks like to experience resilience in the wilderness, this Lent at Highland. We've noted the reality that we were in the wilderness long before this season of Lent ever began. And one of the things I think you and I have learned along the way that I would like to name today is that resilience is not the same as never giving up. And there's a very important distinction to make between the two. Never giving up has this can't stop, won't stop mentality. But resilience says, what if there's another way? Never giving up is like the energizer bunny that just keeps going and going and going. But resilience knows when to slow down and when to speed back up. When to sit down and when to get back up again. Never giving up can be so single-minded and stuck on its own expectations, but resilience is so much more flexible than that. It knows how to pivot when plan A and even plan B and C and D and E, F, G are no longer an option. 
And perhaps in order to be resilient in the long haul, you and I have to give ourselves permission to give up sometimes. To let go of our former expectations. To give up our own carefully constructed plans. To stop, to recalibrate and reconsider. And ultimately to trust in a God whose plans for us are so much more extraordinary than you or I could ever imagine on our own. And isn't that exactly what Jesus is trying to say at the temple that day? I need you to give up on these frivolous plans that you think are so great because you have no idea what's about to happen next. I mean, you people think that God can be contained in this space, in this building, but you're about to learn that even the grave cannot contain the depths of God's love. Friends, I am mindful that this weekend marks one year since Highland has gathered in the walls of the sanctuary. In this space, we hold as sacred. I invite you to remember where you were that day. Maybe where you were sitting, what was going through your head. Ironically, I was leaving Waco, Texas that day, boarding a plane to Louisville, Kentucky, to visit here with our staff and with the search committee, totally unaware of what was before us. It has been almost one year since COVID-19 was declared a pandemic, and it changed our lives and our world forever. Some congregations have chosen to keep meeting during the pandemic. And every church has different contexts and building sizes and situations to consider. But I can't help but wonder if the mantra, never give up, is so tightly woven into the fabric of our theology that at first we just couldn't imagine anything to the contrary. Because we can't give up physically going to church, can we? We can't give up worshiping together face to face, can we? But at Highland, we have chosen a different way. After all, as Jesus reminds us in this text, the most important thing was never meant to be the building in the first place. If our body is the temple, then the indwelling of God's spirit is within each of us. And if we have to choose, we will choose people over place every single time. And has it been hard? Gosh, that's a rhetorical question because we all know the answer is yes. Is it the same as worshiping face to face? Not by a long shot. When will it be over? The honest answer from our healthcare professionals in this very congregation is we still don't know. But with every fiber of my being, I believe that we as a community of faith have chosen resilience time and time again, even though it has meant giving up some things we dearly love. 
And I acknowledge that this has not come without significant loss and grief. Giving up is hard. I still remember when COVID first hit, and I was astonished by the idea that we might not be back in the sanctuary by Easter. I remember standing in my kitchen crying because I just couldn't fathom that idea. But the idea that we wouldn't be back together for over a year? I mean, I don't know how I would have digested that news at the time. And yet, resilience always finds a way, doesn't it? Resilience isn't afraid to give up in order for God to do something completely unexpected and new. And so I wonder today, what is something that Jesus has invited or is inviting you to give up? What is something Jesus is inviting Highland to give up? And before you say, Mary Alice, this has been a hard enough year. We don't have anything else to give up. I quickly want to redefine what I mean by giving up today. In her podcast, Kelly Corrigan says, we don't quit things because they're hard. We quit things because they're wrong. Or they're not working anymore. We quit to make room for what is better. So untie the bundle of expectations from your back because it makes the walk too hard, the slope too steep, and redirect your energy toward what matters most. And so perhaps a better way of asking this question is, what is Jesus inviting you to give up in order to make room in your life for what matters the most? What is Jesus inviting Highland to give up? in order to make room for what's most important in the kingdom of God? What expectation are you hanging on to so tightly that it just might be hindering you from what God has planned for you next? Maybe there is an unhealthy relationship in your life that you just need to give up or to back away from in order for God to do a work of healing within you. Perhaps you need to take that first brave step toward giving up an activity or a behavior or addiction that is harming you and harming the relationships you have with people you love. Maybe you need to give up pretending to be anything else than the beloved child of God that you are called and created to be. And maybe you need to give up a theology that tells you you are anything less than that. Friends, giving up is hard and holy work. We've learned that this year, haven't we? As author Seth Godin says, quitting feels a lot like dying. We stick things out too long because it makes us feel unsafe to walk away from them. And yet, I believe Jesus is saying to us in this text Do you trust me? Are you willing to let go of whatever it is that you are holding on to so tightly in order to see what I have in store for you next? I'd like to close today with a poem by Mary Oliver. 
that I believe speaks to this very idea and that meets us in these wilderness days and, and in these pandemic days. So receive these words. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clear blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. And so, friends, remember that you do not have to walk on your knees for miles and miles in this weary wilderness. You don't. It's okay to give up sometimes. It's necessary to give up sometimes. It can even be life-saving. And just at the point when we fully realize that, when we are finally willing to let go and to give up control and expectations and everything else that we have been holding on to so very tightly, I believe that's when God shows up best. That's when the Spirit offers itself to our imagination. That's when God calls to us like the wild geese, reminding us of our place in the kingdom of God. Amen.